welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. When I got out of the army, I made a decision. No more calisthenics. No more running. No more sit-ups. No more push-ups. No more pull-ups. None of that stuff. I was done with it. And I didn't. Um, When I got married to Lori, we had a a really good arrangement. She loved to cook and I loved to eat. It worked out beautiful. It was great. I was a pastor serving uh, rural congregations. And when you visit in homes, especially in uh, farms and ranches, uh, one of the things that always happens is that you have to have a cup of coffee and you have to have a piece of cake or pie or something that was baked usually that day. And so I would visit three or four homes, and I would have three or four cups of coffee, three or four pieces of cake. And over the years, I had a pulpit blister. You know, you get that from rubbing up against the pul- pulpit, and, and your stomach gets bigger and larger. And um, in 1997, I weighed 195 pounds. I'm only five foot six, so I was almost as wide as I was tall. And, and it was difficult. Um, Diabetes runs in my family. It's on both sides of my parents' family. And I knew that, but it doesn't, wasn't a factor in the decisions that I made. And so in 1997, I was diagnosed with diabetes. And that was a struggle uh, from there on. You see, I was free in regard to exercise. I didn't do that anymore. But then I discovered that I was a slave to appetite and the consequences of that. All of us struggle with freedom. Uh, We dream of freedom, uh, the idea that no one would be over us, uh, that we'd have an abundance of choices, uh, that every whim would be fulfilled, that we can do anything and be anything and go anywhere and achieve the impossible. Uh, That's kind of what freedom looks like. That's what we have in our mind, Uh, the freedom to have success, to have wealth, to uh, have uh, power and control over our life. We know what it looks like. We think we know what it looks like. And yet when we get to that place, we discover that often we're in bondage to something else. And it doesn't feel like we thought it would. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a journey into freedom. And we started off by looking at the role of Jesus, that he is the one uh, that has come to open prison doors, to set captives free, to heal those that are brokenhearted, to bind up the wounded. Uh, And and that is his role uh, in our journey to freedom. We looked at uh, Bartimaeus, who was blind, but now he sees. Uh, Bartimaeus, who was healed by Jesus as he cried out to him, and Jesus called him to come. And then when his eyes were opened, he realized that he couldn't go back to where he started. He couldn't go back to being a beggar because it just doesn't work if you can see. No one wants to give to an unblind person. And so Bartimaeus decides to follow Jesus in the way to become a disciple of Jesus. Uh, And this morning we're going to be looking uh, in depth at Romans 6. If you have your Bible with you, would you get that out and hold it up? Maybe your Bible is on an electronic device. Uh, Get that out and hold it up as well. Loving God, we thank you for your word that gives life. We thank you for your word that uh, sanctifies us and cleanses us and makes us whole. Uh, Loving God, we ask that you would bless your word to us this morning, that as we uh, read it and understand it and comprehend it, that you would open our minds to receive your word of grace and life. 
life in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love in his name. Amen. Well, Romans 6, 1 through 14 is the passage that we're going to look at in uh, detail this morning. And Paul writes there these words, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ... Being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Freedom is living into God. Paul talks about baptism and reminds us that it is a spiritual death. And he says, this spiritual death is the gateway to freedom. Jesus said something similar in Matthew 16, 25, speaking to his disciples. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We want to preserve our life and hold on to it. So often we lose it in the end. But if we give ourselves to Jesus, lose our life in him, then we will discover that we have life that is life indeed. And Paul here in Romans 6, 7 says, for the one who has died has been set free from sin, that, that we need to die in order to be free. There is a significance uh, to death. We know that when a person dies, all of their obligations end with their death. They are beyond the law. Uh, as a person that dies, their contracts are null and void. Anything that they sign while they are alive no longer is in operation because they're dead. And uh, uh, debts are irrelevant. Uh, and what Paul is saying is that when we die to Jesus Christ, our old life has no hold over us because all the obligations, all the debts, all the things that tie us there are no longer in power over us because we have dead and now we're alive in Jesus Christ. Paul says that we have died with Jesus. And baptism is immerse, uh, immerses us into his death, burial, and resurrection. Romans 6.3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We've been immersed in the death of Jesus. 
that we are connected with him. It's our physical reminder of of that event in our life. When we were baptized, we died with Jesus, we were buried with Jesus, and we're raised with Jesus. And we can always look back on that event when it happened uh, in our life and, and be reminded of its effect in our life going forward. There is an identification that takes place in in baptism. First of all, it's an identification that Jesus has with us. Uh, Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, speaking of Jesus, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You see, Jesus identifies with us. The incarnation is about Jesus becoming uh, human, God becoming human to walk in our flesh, to walk our, our life, to experience our life so that he can offer himself so that we might have freedom. And that is of uh, the identification that takes place between Jesus and us through baptism. Jesus has experienced our life on our terms. He knows what it is to be fully human. Hebrews 4 Uh, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus truly knows what it is to be human. He's faced temptations. He's tasted what hunger feels like. He knows what it's like to lose a close friend to death. He knows what it is to grieve. He knows what it is to be vilified and betrayed. Jesus has experienced our life on our terms. And so he knows what it is that we're going through. We also experience a deep connection with Jesus through baptism. Uh, We are connected with his death and resurrection. Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, when we are baptized, we die with Jesus, we're buried with Jesus, and we're raised with Jesus. And we have that in our mind, in our experience, uh, and so we can always uh, know that we have that newness of life because we have died with Jesus. We can look back on that and remind ourselves, yes, I died with Jesus, therefore I do have that new life. I am a new creation. Because I've gone through this process with Jesus, I can trust that he's making me a new creation, that I am uh, walking in newness of life. Uh, We have identified with his crucifixion. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. When you're baptized in Jesus, you've been crucified with him. You don't have to worry about the old man and what to do with him because you can remind yourself it's crucified. It's taken care of. I am a new person in Jesus Christ. I am no longer enslaved to sin. And Romans 6, 5 reminds us that we experience resurrection with Jesus, for we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The promise of resurrection is there. It's a true word from Jesus, and because he has been raised from the dead, we know that we will be risen from the dead. And because we have experienced it Spiritually, through baptism, we can trust that we will have that new life, that we will be raised from the dead uh, by Jesus. We indeed are alive in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.3 3 
says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When we go through baptism, we are recognizing that our life is hidden with Jesus, that it belongs to him, that it's encompassed in him, and that it's with him, and that he will bring us life uh, for eternity. It's good to know about baptism and the connection that Jesus has with us and the connection that we have with him, that physical reminder of the transformation that has taken place and what the promises are that we can hold to. Uh, But that feels like theory, and we need practical applications on how to live into it. And Paul does that for us. Uh, How to live into God is what he wants to look at in these next few verses. Romans 6.10 says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. We need to live into God, and and how we do that is uh, what Paul reminds us of. First of all, we need to consider ourselves dead to sin. Romans 6.11 says, You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. How we think matters. That's what Paul is saying. Think about what you've been through, this experience of baptism, of death, burial, and resurrection. If you think yourself dead to sin, then you will live to God. How we think matters. If our self-talk is negative, we'll live down to that. That always happens. If we talk to ourselves in a negative way, we will live down to what we describe in our mind, how we think is going to determine that. If our self-talk is positive and uplifting, we will live up to that. Because the way we think is how we're going to act and move. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The way we think determines how we act, what we become, what our character is going to be like, what we think informs our actions, and what we think builds our character through our actions. When I was diagnosed with diabetes, I was uh, 195 pounds. I wasn't exercising. I was eating too much. I was eating the wrong kinds of things. And there was all kinds of things that had to happen in order for me to be healthy. And one of the things that had to happen was that I had to change the way I thought about movement, about activity. Because one of the truths about diabetes is that if you move, if you're active, especially with type 2 diabetes, your, your cells begin to open up and receive the insulin that is present and to be able to metabolize the sugar that's floating around in your blood. And so I had to change the way I thought about my activity level. And so I had to walk. I had to move. I had to get up and not be quiet and sedentary, but I had to get up and move. And I had to change the way I thought about that. That wasn't an easy thing to do. There were uh, a couple of years of struggle uh, with that, uh, getting my mind wrapped around the outcome of what diabetes would be if I did nothing and what I really wanted to have happen. But over time, I was able to change the way that I thought. We need to fill our minds with uplifting thoughts. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what do you fill your mind with? If you fill your mind with things that are excellent and honorable and beautiful and commendable, then you're going to live that way. If you fill your mind with things of um, negativity and fear and all those things that are present in the world, 
then you're going to live down to that. Paul says that we need to fill our mind with the positive things. Our baptism is a physical reminder that we've died with Jesus and that we are alive in Jesus. The second thing that Paul tells us that we can do to uh, have this experience of living into God is that we have authority in our walk with Jesus. Romans 6.12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So there's questions that we need to ask. Who reigns over us? Whom do we serve? Who is a supreme authority for our life? These are truths that we need to ponder. For the one that is over us is the one that will dominate us. And if it is the wrong something that is over us, then we will move in a direction that is away from God. But if God is the one who is over us, then we'll move in his direction. We have uh, the authority of Jesus operating in our life. Matthew 28, 18, uh, Jesus uh, to his disciples, his last word, the beginning of the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. First of all, every authority, every power, every uh, controlling measure belongs to Jesus. He has all authority. He is the supreme authority. And he delegates that authority to us so that we can share in that. Uh, Revelation 1, 17 through 18, uh, in John's vision of Jesus there on the island of Patmos, uh, John describes it this way. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. For he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Keys are used to unlock doors, aren't they? And if you have the key, then you have some power and authority in a place where you can unlock doors and open doors and move through doors. And Jesus has the keys of Hades and death, which means that he's in control of them that he has unlocked those doors and that he has set people free and that he is setting people free and he has authority in that sphere and so we can trust in him. And then Jesus gives us authority as well. Luke ten seventeen, Jesus uh, called his disciples together. He commissioned 72 of them to go out two by two to preach and when they came back, this was their report. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. When we speak the name of Jesus, when we command in the name of Jesus, even demons will obey because Jesus has authority. In James 5.14, is, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So in the name of the Lord, we have the authority to heal. That we can speak that word of healing over people. And Jesus' authority will bring healing. In Acts 16, 18, Paul uh, is in Philippi uh, preaching the good news, gathering uh, a church. And there is a woman who is filled with an evil spirit that is following him and testifying that they need to listen to Paul. And Paul is annoyed by that. He's upset by that. And so this is the description in Acts 16. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, 
turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. You see, in the name of Jesus, we have authority to cast out evil spirits. 1 Corinthians 16.11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, in the name of the Lord of Jesus Christ, we can be washed and cleansed and sanctified and made holy and receive eternal life. We have authority in Jesus Christ. We are under a new king, King Jesus. Colossians 1.13 says that Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved. That the Father has done this in Jesus Christ. That at one time we were under the dominion of Satan. We belonged to the kingdom of darkness. We had eyes that were closed. We had no light. We were in darkness and we had our residence under that dominion. And yet because of Jesus Christ, we have been transferred and moved into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, that we have light, our eyes are open, we can see and we can worship and we can praise because we belong to a new king, King Jesus. And his is the authority that is over us. Sin's power is broken over us. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in his flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. The power of Satan has been destroyed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because we are under his authority and because we have his authority, we too can be free. One of the things that I learned being a person that has diabetes is that I could take control of my life. That I wasn't simply a victim being passively uh, ravaged by this disease, but that I could take control over it. Uh, that if I uh, moved and was active, if I ate the right things at the right time in the right way, uh, that my blood sugars would stay reasonably le level and that I would be able to uh, have a healthy and wholesome life. That I was in control of that, that I could be in charge of that. And so I learned how to do that uh, over the, the first a uh, year and a half, I lost that 50 pounds. And it got to the place where I didn't need the medicine that I was taking for diabetes. And I was able to manage it for a very long time with simple diet and exercise. And in fact, there was one point when my blood sugars were so low, uh, below uh, six, that one doctor told me, well, I don't think you ever had diabetes. Well, no, that wasn't actually right. I, I do have diabetes, uh, but I was controlling it really, really well by the way that I was living and the choices that Lori and I were making uh, together. Paul reminds us that we have a new identity in Jesus Christ. Romans 6.13 says, Do not present your members uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Present yourselves to God through Jesus Christ. That word uh, present uh, means to give ourselves. It means to offer ourselves, to yield ourselves, to devote ourselves, to dedicate ourselves, to surrender ourselves to our Father. And that uh, you'll notice that all of those words are words that are associated with worship. We have an identity of worshiping uh, the Father. 
Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, uh, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, so that we have an identity of people who worship the Lord God through Jesus Christ. When we worship, we acknowledge our Father. We place ourselves under his protection and grace. We offer the sacrifices of praise and we yield our hearts to him. Uh, The reign of sin is broken from us as we worship. When we worship, we're connected with our Father. We come through the grace of Jesus Christ. We discover God's mercy and compassion. We find that uh, there is comfort for our weakness. When we worship, our minds are open to God's truth. Our hearts are filled with his grace. Our hands are eager to do his will. And we become instruments of righteousness. We discover that Jesus has clothed us with his righteousness. He's the only one that is obeyed perfectly. He's the one who makes the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And we belong to Jesus to serve his purpose. I have diabetes. I have labeled myself in the past as being diabetic, having an identity of being diabetic, but I I no longer choose that label. Because when you call yourself diabetic, that means that that is your identity. That who you are is wrapped up in this disease that's going on in your body. And that you become a slave to all the things that you have to do in order to control it. Uh, that you are in bondage to those things, what you eat and how you move and all those other things that are a part of it. And so I choose not to see myself as a diabetic. I do have diabetes. I want to control it. But I'm not diabetic in the sense that it's my whole identity. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. And I struggle and I deal with the diabetes that I have with his grace. We have a new identity in Jesus Christ. We are no longer sinners. We're no longer under the dominion of sin. We are people who are liberated by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we are free in him. Freedom is living into God. There is a paradoxical truth. Romans 6.20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And there's truth in that. When you were... Uh, immersed in sin, under the dominion and control of sin, righteousness was the further thing from your mind. You were free from righteousness. It was absent in your life. And then Paul says, but now, in verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. If you want to be truly free, If you want to live into the freedom that God has for you, then you need to become a slave of God. You need to place his authority over your life. You need to belong to him. Uh, Your will is to do his will. You need to be owned by him, possessed by him. And when that is your circumstance, When you truly are a slave of God, you discover that you are free because what God has for you is a wide open place of blessing and authority and power to be used as an instrument of his righteousness. And when we move in that direction, we discover 
true freedom. I invite you to stand as you're able. Worship team, if you'd come up on the platform. Paul reminds us that we need to consider ourselves dead to sin, that we have the authority of Jesus operating in our life and that we can speak out of that authority, and that we have a new identity through worship, that who we are is a person that worships our Father through Jesus Christ. What would it be like for you and I if we regarded ourselves as dead to sin? That its power was broken from us. Its debilitating effects were removed and we were restored. Its dominance in our life removed. What would it be like for you and I if we acted upon our authority in Jesus? If we commanded temptation to leave us in the name of Jesus? What would it be like if, if we lived into God's presence in our lives? What would it be like if we lived as instruments of righteousness, worshiping the Father, presenting ourselves to Him for acts of service? Baptism connects us deeply with the life of Jesus. And so if we've been baptized, we need to remember that as we move forward in our life with Jesus Christ. If, if you're hearing this for the first time, if you're hearing for the first time how much Jesus loves you, that he wants to break off the shackles of sin from your life and bring you into a freedom that is glorious with him, he is ready to do that right now. There is a great offer of life that is available to you that you can know that you have life that is true life, a purpose that is for now and eternity. And you need to simply come to Jesus. He's here. His arms are open. He's calling your name. He's saying, come to me. Paul says it's very, very simple to become a follower of Jesus. All you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and therefore is alive and speak with your lips that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And if you believe that in your heart and you speak those words today, Jesus will save you right here, right now. It's as simple as that. You have known that the way that you have managed your life has not been successful. And Jesus is offering to take over the reins of your life, to bring you to a place of destiny and hope and life, to correct those things that have gone wrong and to bring into a place where you can feel successful and hopeful and alive in Jesus. And all you have to do is say yes to him right now. What would it be like for us as God's people together to regard ourselves as dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus? What would it be like for us if we were acting with our authority? What would it be like if we were living into our identity as worshipers of the living God? Imagine what the Father would be able to do through us as instruments of righteousness. Would you pray with me? Oh, loving God, we thank you, first of all, for those that have said yes to you this morning. 
that have uh, spoken with their mouth that uh, you are the Lord of their life and who have believed in their heart that you are resurrected and alive. Father, we ask that you would embrace them, that you would place your robes of righteousness around them, uh, that you would uh, love on them and let them know uh, that you have forgiven them, that their shame is gone, their guilt has been removed, and that they are new creations in Jesus Christ. And Father, we lift up our congregation and ask that you would uh, empower us, that you would anoint us with your spirit, uh, that as we live into you, that we would claim our authority in Jesus Christ, that we would live as worshipers of the living God, and that we would engage in acts of righteousness as you lead and as you command. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I have some uh, action steps that you can take this week. First of all, identify one area of life in which you struggle. Speak the authority of Jesus over that every time you're tempted. And then declare your love, adoration, and devotion for Jesus and our Heavenly Father in that moment.